Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Today, we're continuing our discussion about non-monogamy. Joining me again to explore this is Dr. Meg John Barker. They are a writer, therapist, and activist academic specializing in sex, gender, and relationships. Meg John is a senior lecturer in psychology at The Open University and a UKCP accredited psychotherapist and has over a decade of experience researching and publishing on these topics, including the popular books Rewriting the Rules, The Secrets of Enduring Love, and Queer, A Graphic History. Welcome back. Thank you. Today, I would love to focus on the practicalities involved in non-monogamy. So if we could start out with, how do you know that non-monogamy is for you? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, we mentioned a bit last time how it can be a bit of a, a work in progress of just, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent, you don't necessarily know what relationship style is going to suit you best until you've tried them. So it can be quite a, a long process of figuring it out. Um, but I would suggest to people a good idea is to um, read up about it so you can get a sense. There's an, a lot of good books out there now around non-monogamous relationships. So I would start reading those. I think Tristan Taramino's book, Open, Opening Up, is mm-hmm. a good one because it covers different types of non-monogamy. So you might get a sense of which ones are for you. And then, of course, the Bible of non-monogamy is the ethical slut. Yes. So that's always worth to go. Um, and then um, Franklin Bowen, Eve Ricketts' book, More Than Two, is the most recent um, edition, I think, which is a really good one. Uh, to read. Um, and then Elizabeth Sheff has done uh, a collection around polyamory of different kinds uh, recently. Is it called Notes from the Polycule or something like that? So that that gives you lots more descriptions of people's lives who are kind of living it. Um, but yeah, go if you go and look on, on Amazon or wherever for, for books on polyamory, you'll find a number. Um, uh, the, as I say, the Tristan Taramina one covers different kinds of non-monogamy, including open relationships and swinging and things as well, which is quite helpful if you're not sure what style might work for you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's loads online. So, again, reading people's blogs and getting a sense of how they do it, um, particularly around solo poly or relationship anarchy, which I don't think there's really specific books on yet. Um, and there's Facebook groups on those as well. So you could join a Facebook group and, you know, chat to people about how they do things and get a sense, again, of whether it seems like a good a good fit. Are there particular things, like warning signs or red flags that you might want to go quite slow at exploring this, do you think? I think slow is always good. <laughs> but um, human beings aren't always so great at going slow. Yeah. <laughs> so, it is uh, 
so we can say go slow but i'm guessing that a lot of people would, would probably still not want to do that because it's so exciting especially if you've come from monogamy not working very well for you it can be really tempting to just leap in with both feet um and that's certainly what i did and i suspect a lot of other people will kind of do it too but of course that way does you, you do often get a bit of drama initially because yes. you know because I think I think be I think be careful about assuming all non-monogamy is the same. I think mm -hmm. it's really easy initially to think, okay, I'm non-monogamous, brilliant. Find another non-monogamous person or a few people, get together with them, and it's all going to be fine. And actually, as we said last time, there's lots of different styles. So you might be somebody who is really looking for a kind of primary, secondary arrangements of, of relationships but the people you get together with are really into egalitarian poly or even relationship anarchy and that can be quite a tension again not that it can't work but if you'd go in without realizing it and then it's only gradually that you realize you've actually got really quite different styles then that's going to be quite hard work to navigate so i would the slowing down and taking some time to figure out really what's going to be a good fit for you uh, might help you to find people who are on the same page. Yeah, no, I mean, in my experience, I, I've had um, worked with people where the big problem was the difference in style. So, yeah. you know, one person had the expectation that um, here we are, we're in a primary relationship and all other relationships um, are um, after that. And um, yeah. and the paramour, one of the paramours was very egalitarian and it came out in things like, how you describe your relationships. So um, posting things on Facebook without, you know, referencing the, the primary relationship, things like that became yeah. an issue. And it really was an issue of style. Yeah, kind of that's that. a common one. Mm -hmm. and, I, and again, more than two is a really good exploration, actually, of how a lot of people assume a kind of hierarchy going in. But that can be really tough on people who are seen as a secondary um, so it's really worth thinking in advance and being really open with people. Like if you are primary, secondary, if some people don't like the language, so they'll try and fudge it and kind of say, oh yeah, we're egalitarian, but actually they're treating one person as a way more important than the others. And that's really painful. And similarly, you know, I've, I've worked with people where the split has been one person assumed it was really just a sexual thing. You know, again, they were a couple and it's like, yeah. you know, it, you're just going to be having sex with other people. Whereas the other person really what they wanted more in their life was, emotional connection yep um again knowing that going in you know is is a useful thing not, and, and again not that we're going to be perfect because we might not even know it until we kind of run into it but if you can have a sense of it going in it's going to help yeah i mean i i mean certainly i think you know for me i i don't like the words primary and secondary but i have a reality i choose to cohabit with somebody and yeah if i'm not cohabiting with other people invariably there is going to be some primacy to the person I cohabit with. Yeah. So it's about like laying that out for people. Okay. Yeah. I already have this partner and what that means is, you know, so is it going to be, you know, so for example, if something comes up, there's a conflict, are you always going to default to the, right. And I, and, you know? yeah. and I don't, you know, yeah. so, but it's like, so if, that it's, was, if it's got to do, if the conflict has to do with this area, I will be defaulting. If it's another yeah. area, I won't. It'll be a discussion about how that works. But but that's yeah. not actually covered by using the term hierarchy. You actually have to explain that to no, people. No, you have to dig into it. And similarly, you know, it's sort of like things like, you know, are you going to be able to go to their house? You know, you get yeah. together with somebody and it turns out, okay, 
you know, you, you're both living with somebody and the rules are not in my house. So, so where do you now meet? you've got nowhere to, yeah. you know, it's like, and have we got money to be in hotel rooms or like, how is this going to work? Yeah. That kind of thing is worth figuring out a bit in advance. So it's not just like a, a big surprise. But again, we're not always going to know in advance these things. So what do you think are the most important things people need to consider as they're going in, as they're meeting um, people? So, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the willingness to have those kind of open conversations. I think that but certainly for me, the relationships that have gone easiest have been where, you know, we've slowed down the start of the relationship a bit and been able to often online, you know, have a lot of chat about our existing things that we've got and what our expectations are. Um, you know, again, is there an expectation of a kind of escalator model of that things are going to get more and more close over time? We're going to get and spend more and more time together because uh, that limits how many relationships you can have. Or is it more like, you know, let's see how we go. Um, or, is there, or is there even a, a sort of block on, you know, actually it can only ever get this intimate because I only have this much time. Or again, it's not all about time and it's not all about how much you can see each other, but that that is part of it. The the hard limits, you know, as people will say, around how much time you actually have available, or how you know, will you be able to go on holiday with that person, or spend whole weekends with them, for example, or is it always yeah. going to be a kind of evening date? Yeah, those kind of things. Yeah, and then when what was the, remind me the question again? <laughs> I mean, that that's one of the big. I think it's one of the biggest ones is actually that people don't. It's that E word expectations. People don't discuss their expectations right. in advance. And yeah. I think that's hard in monogamous relationships, which it is. It causes major problems in monogamous yeah. relationships. You just have to exponentially enlarge the problems it causes if you don't discuss that in advance in, in polyamorous. Exactly. Because you've, you've, you've got more than one person involved. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be super painful in monogamy too. And I think it is one of the big problems that we see as relationship coaches and relationship therapists is when there's a mismatch of expectations and people that thought that they were on the same page going in and they weren't. So yeah, all of the areas, again, it can be useful to something some of my mates have got into recently is having a shared Google doc for uh -huh. each sort of partnership in a relationship where you can have actually kind of subtitles in there about you know space and time and sex and you know uh special occasions illness you know whatever kind of uh topics are going to be relevant and then you can both be writing maybe in different colors in there about what your expectations are or your hopes and what theirs are and again coming at it definitely from a point of view of no one's right and wrong so if there mm -hmm. is one you've got different expectations on fine you know then at least you know what they are and then you can think well how are we going to come up with an agreement that suits us both well enough or maybe it's impossible in that area and that's just going to be an ongoing tension but at least we can empathize with the fact that we're in different places on this one you know and but that and that's the way that you've described that is very much about a negotiation and a yeah. conversation that goes on and it's one of the things that that people often don't think about when they're trying to construct a relationship they don't realize in the first place that they're actually constructing the relationship they think the no, relationship you have to grabs them <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's right so it's sort of seeing it as a as a conscious construction between mm -hmm. you and also having that sense of almost like on a on a scale of one to ten how important are these different yes. things to me because there's going to have to be some give in it you know I'm, i've got a somebody that i see maybe once every every month or every two months um, and uh, they made some changes around 
their use of social media. And I, at first I was like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, my assumption was we would always be able to see each other's Facebooks and Twitters and things because that's going to be really important to keep in touch between times. And, and I had a lot of expectations about that. And then actually I was able to think, well, how important is that to me? And actually, might it be quite cool to have somebody I see in this, they call it a comet relationship yeah. when you see somebody only every so often. And actually, we found that really valuable of like, when we do see each other, we have, we're not in each other's lives much, not even on social media. So we can really have that kind of useful perspective on each other um, and, and, and each other's lives that you only get when you're not in, embedded. Yeah, quite so, so, you know, it's worth knowing what you're flexible on and what feels like, no, that's a, a real limit for me. I'm going to need that at least, you know. And I think that, I mean, that's that's another thing that, you know, people often don't figure out for themselves before going into a relationship, sometimes because you don't know, but often because people yeah. don't think about it. Um, and, and when I work with people, I try and get people to actually think about that. Like, you know, for is distance an issue? I, yeah. I I, I'm rather good at long distance relationships, not by design. Yeah. You know, it just happened that way because I didn't actually think about it before I got involved with somebody. And so yeah. I've, I've, I've got a way of coping with long distance relationships that works rather well for me. But some people cannot stand that. It just doesn't yeah. work for them at all. And so you need mm -hmm. to know that about yourself. Because, Definitely. you know, if you meet somebody who lives 10,000 miles away, you need to know whether you can manage that. You can manage that exactly. you're only going to see each other once every four months or once every six months. Exactly. Which can be really great, you know, but it can be, yeah, for some people it's just not going to work. And again, it's it's a oh, it's a really subtle thing, isn't it? Because some of these things we can only know when we try and we might think, oh, a relationship to me means you have to see each other at least once a week. And then you might find yourself in a situation where someone moves away and actually, oh, hang on a minute, this is really great. We get this intense time together, you know, twice a year and it's actually wonderful. You might find, be surprised that that is, that is working for you. So it's, it is a subtle, but, you know, definitely, definitely knowing where your real limits are, where it's just like, this is never going to be okay for me because if you can let the people know that, then again, you can decide in a, okay, no, this, you know, ours are never going to fit. So let's not have that kind of relationship or let's have that relationship knowing that this is going to be a real point of tension for us because it's, yeah, we really are on a different page with this thing. So what we're talking about is that negotiation is, is really recommending that people kind of first figure out what some of the bits they know about themselves and making yeah. sure that they know what their limits are and the things that they yeah. want, that they're actually clear about what is it that they want. Yeah. For example, yeah, exactly. if you want to have children and you haven't had them yet and you're in your yeah. And you're female. That's something that you need yeah. to prioritize. Exactly, and then, and also more than that, you know. Then it's like, under what, in what conditions am I willing to? That's parent? right. You know, will I be up for, for yeah, parenting with multiple people, or am I really looking for one person to do it with? All all of that kind of things really worth getting there. But it's we should say it's a very vulnerable thing actually mm. to put these things out there. I mean, something I've tried been trying to do as well is to put out there some of my relationship patterns which are not necessarily great, but I've learned over the years. So I know I can be a bit of a people pleaser, for example, and kind of mold myself to relationships to try and get approval from other people. It's something I'm trying really hard not to do, but I know I can slip into that. So I'm trying to say that. And similarly, if somebody was quite um, needy or quite avoidant, you know, mm -hmm. again, worth being kind of clear about that from the outset so that, again, you can think, okay, is this a good match? Or actually, 
is it that 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 the thing that that person finds really hard and another person is the exact thing that I've got maybe we don't go there because yeah. that is going to be quite difficult or maybe we wait you know maybe we wait and if we feel like in you know three years time or five years time that we're more on top of that issue then maybe that's the time to have this relationship you know and 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 really very much about that self-reflection and mm. then communication which are two skills that serve you well throughout life which are also two skills that lots of people don't spend a lot of time building because they are it is sensitive. Lots of people, it's hard to look at the bits of yourself that aren't so nice. Really <laughs> yeah. hard, really hard to let someone know that. And also like our whole messages around relationships is the opposite. It's like yes. you're meant to date and you're meant to pretend that you're this wonderful, shiny person with no flaws. So this is almost suggesting that you do the opposite. You come straight in now with, and you know, this is the whole of me, you know, including the things that I'm really, I really struggle with and having that, and and of course, you know, there's then the, the danger of rejection, you know, so that which could really make someone feel very vulnerable. But, I, it, you know, it's trying to balance that with actually maybe it's worth it rather than rather than getting into this really close relationship with somebody and then them finding out this thing and then realizing it's a bit of a deal breaker. Yeah. And yeah. You know, you could save a bit of that. And 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 really building on your communication skills, because if you're going to live in a non-monogamous lifestyle, you need like stellar communication skills, even more yeah. so than if you than if you're in a monogamous situation, because you have to communicate with more people more of the time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so meta communication comes in here as well. You know, being able to communicate about how you like to communicate. Yeah. And so again, the skill might be that you're learning different styles for different partners yeah but again I suppose I'm always a bit wary of saying it's so much more complicated than monogamy because actually a lot of what we've been describing would be really valuable in friendships indeed you know uh, and we know a lot of friendships end up breaking up in really painful ways because people have different expectations and no you know nobody's taught that they should be communicating in this way about friendships but actually I think all of what we've said applies it would be great if we could go to new friendships saying oh by the way you know uh, you know, be someone came up with me with somebody was uh, when I go away on holiday, I'm like, I'm with those people I'm with. I'm kind of not going to be in contact with people from back home. And their understanding was the opposite was like, we should always be in touch, you know, really informally, right. but with regularity, even if we've gone away. And, I, and that was one to negotiate there, you know, and that's not a partner, that's a friend. So and know, I, same I, things I, do. I think you're, you're quite right. I mean, it's, it's a general set of skills we need full stop. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and and we need to do more of that in our relationships in general. Yeah, and so and it's you, great practice. Hmm? Go ahead. It's great practice if we are doing it with other people as well. You know, um, trying to make it all more kind of conscious and more intentional with family, with friends, and with uh, partners, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what are the other things do you think that that people need to think about? Um, in terms of let's talk a bit about emotions with this yeah. yeah well it's amazing we've got to this point without that isn't it because most people when you say polyamory they say jealousy that's so. right <laughs> yeah but that's because you have two polyamorous people talking who already know yeah. that jealousy is manageable yeah exactly I mean feelings again this is where you just it's another really useful life skill for everyone right which is about staying with feelings Yep. Um, so polyamory is a really good teacher 
that instead of you know with jealousy if you feel jealous it's not about the the cultural idea is if somebody feels jealous they tell the other person and that person stops doing the thing right, right? because right. it's their fault for being jealous whereas the polyamory version is you know you stay with your feeling you understand you know you understand that you use it as a route to understanding yourself better um and then maybe you communicate about it but not in a way that's saying you stop doing that thing but rather you know expressing the insecurity maybe that underlies the the jealousy and talking about what you might need for some reassurance so yeah so that skill of being able to have ha notice that you're having a feeling and stay with it you know and really notice what it's like in your body and think about whether it reminds you of feelings from the past and just exploring it and reflecting on it rather than just that knee-jerk acting on it yeah. you know shout somebody or you know going and uh you know changing trying to change somebody else's behavior yeah and 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 that works anytime you feel jealousy in any situation in which you yeah. feel jealousy to be able to figure out what right, right. is going on yeah right like recently i've had a lot of envy for because i've been really ill for friends who are doing Healthy. a lot of exciting things yeah i'm not able to do that at the moment and it's like yeah the, the answer is you sit with the envy and I sat with the envy and then it leads to a kind of a kind of sadness and then I can express, you know, I can really feel that sadness um, and sort of sense of loss of the things I'm not able to do at the moment. And then I can kind of move on um, and I can tell people about it in a way that's not like, you know, making them feel guilty, but right. just saying, yeah, there's sad for me at the moment. And there's also happiness that they are able to do those things and happiness that I probably will be able to do them again at some point. And that will be really thrilling because it's been a while since I have. So you can deal with jealousy in a relationship in a very similar way of like, you know, yeah, I'm having this feeling, really letting yourself feel the feeling and then expressing it in a way that doesn't try and put a boundary around anyone else's behavior. And I've noticed that sometimes when people do that and they really kind of come to terms with where it's coming from for them, that they actually find practical solutions for themselves. So, for example, yeah. it's not unusual for people to be jealous in polyamorous situations when um, one partner is going out and they're at home alone. Yeah. And if they had a date themselves, they're not suddenly not jealous. You know, so it's, yeah. it's about it. Once you, you've been able to sit with it and figure out where it's coming from and really understand it, then you can actually do things behaviorally yourself to lower the incidence. Yeah, exactly. Although it's also important to, I suppose a big caveat to this is that just because people are non-monogamous or polyamorous doesn't mean they can't be arseholes. <laughs> and, um, you know, sometimes your jealousy is telling you that that person is really being mean. Yeah, <laughs> so, and really disrespectful. You know, and that would be okay as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, that's so actually, we haven't mentioned that at all, but it's actually a really important point. People are people are people. Yeah. And yeah. people who are non-monogamous also decide to behave in bad ways. Exactly. So if somebody comes back and, you know, after their date and starts saying, oh, I had this amazing evening and this person I've just been with is better than, than you in yeah. all of these ways, then that would be unacceptable you know, <laughs> in any relationship. Um, and if you felt jealous at such a time, then that would be completely fair, you know. Yeah. So it's, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, the, the other thing I think is, is, is interesting around that is that this, this idea that um, can you have an affair in a polyamorous situation. Yeah. And of course you can. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. because that's just a fair is just a violation of the rules. Yeah, exactly. So you have a, an agreement, whether it's a more explicit or implicit one. And if somebody violates those rules again, then definitely that is you know, going back into secret, secret non-monogamy. And another thing that a lot of, you know, a fairly common one is that people get polysaturated. Mm-hmm. You know, that that because people are polyamorous, they think, well, they must have all of the shiny things and they must have them all now. And yes. then they they just have got far too much going on and they haven't got time to really to do the kind of processing and reflection and emotional, you know, and the self-care and all of these things that are needed. So, yeah, that would be another thing to keep an eye on if somebody's doing that, you know, probably not doing it consciously but uh, they are making themselves quite a risky person to be around yeah i don't like being one of those shiny things i don't like being yeah, one yeah. No, it's 200 it's not much fun <laughs> no exactly yeah <laughs> so it's good to learn your limits <laughs> again yeah. most of these things i'm talking about i've got horribly wrong in the past i should say <laughs> me too me too yeah. i mean i I'm, I'm totally honest you know i'm completely wrong in yeah. the past um, and I've yeah. been on the other end of I've been on the other end of an affair in a polyamorous polyamorous marriage, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, it really only would have taken a conversation to have had it not be an yeah. affair, and it was just mm-hmm. as damaging as in a monogamy. Actually, it was more damaging. Uh, yeah, for me you, personally, I found yeah. it more damaging because because all it would have taken was a, yeah. a discussion, and and that wasn't done, and six months of lying and cheating ensued. Um, and so exactly. to me, it was it was far more damaging because we had a, a, an agreement about being polyamorous than it was when a similar thing had happened when I was in a monogamous relationship. Yeah, that could have just been somebody not being able to communicate and not knowing how to get themselves out of a situation before they got into another. Whereas this was quite to me more of a clear violation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a few things like that. I think people having their one true way of doing polyamory, yes. they kind of impress other people. That's another kind of pitfall of like, just because it works for you doesn't mean it's the right way that everybody should be doing. And it can really hurt people when you try and treat them as a, an object that yes. should be bending to your will. You know, um, like if, you know, th- this certainly happens with egalitarian poly where people think, well, egalitarian is so much better than hierarchy. You shouldn't have your primary, secondary thing. You shouldn't have your hierarchy and actually gets to a point where it's being quite evangelically yes. imposed on other people who maybe just don't work that way. And that's OK. You know, it's not better. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. And yeah, that's um, one of the other things that I've also seen, which is probably worth mentioning, is that sometimes people... Uh, we have mentioned it, but we skirted over it. Sometimes people do go into non-monogamy because they feel pressured to do so. And um, you see that when somebody feels pressured by a partner, but you also see that in in the kinky world where it's seen as more acceptable in some ways to be polyamorous. So people will go into a situation, say they're polyamorous, not actually feel it. And then, Plus problems for the other relationships that are present because they're really looking for their one. They want their they one. one. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, it, it, there's nothing worse than that level of disrespect that comes with that. You know, it's like, oh, there's other people here already, but I'm looking for my one, and and I'll be Polly for now, but eventually she'll see that I'm the best, or he'll see that I'm yeah. the best, or they'll see that I'm the best. And it's this sort of because it's it's kind of very underground and. 
Well, that's right. But also, I guess, and and the people, but people can feel also quite coerced into polyamory, mm. like you say, in quite sex positive spaces. Yeah. You know, there's almost like a culture. There can be a, a culture of kind of, you know, hey, don't be, you know, it, it, this is, you know, this is the freedom yeah. way to do things. And if, if you were cool, baby, you'd be poly. You'd, you'd be you know, poly. So that's right. Sixties kind, of, kind of idea, and uh, you know that it's almost like you know we can go from slut shaming to actually prude shaming. Yes. You know, to making people feel prudish if they're not up for kink or if they're not up for poly, and that can that can be really damaging to folks. Um, and certainly, you know, it comes back to the intersections around asexuality as well. It can be really damaging to to people who don't really experience much sexual attraction, or or their sexual attraction is only happening within you know uh, within couple relationships, right. for example. Um, and then they can feel like, well, they should be having threesomes, or they should be doing these other things that they really don't, you know, really doesn't do it for them. So you can end up having quite coercive sex within within these environments if you're not, you know, really quite assertive. Yeah, um, because because the culture is such that it really sort of pushes you in that direction. And and so uh, you know, I think that's another skill on our list where we're talking about expectations and the you know knowing your expectations, knowing your limits, having the ability to reflect, having the ability to sit with your feelings, and then communicate. But also yeah. knowing how to be assertive, and that if that's a skill that you don't have in general. That it's worth going yeah. and getting that skill. That's something you can learn. Um, because yeah, definitely. It, it will carry you through all different walks of life, but particularly in this area is really important because you're not going to get your needs met mm. unless you are able to be assertive about what it is that you need. Yeah, so I think assertiveness, uh, meta-communication as well, you know, mm -hmm. sort of if you, if you can learn how to communicate about how you communicate, then it's like you can cut, you come in from a date and you, you know, you see um, your other partner and you can check in with them, you know, mm -hmm. okay, I know I've just got back from this thing, would you like to hear about it or would you rather not hear about it, would you prefer to hear about it tomorrow, you know, you can do that meta-communication work, again, if you've learned those skills, conflict management skills, another yes. useful <laughs> you know set of skills to learn for this yeah well Same that's i think that, isn't yeah. that an ongoing work in progress conflict management i think all of these are an ongoing work yeah. I, I wouldn't say that i'm there on assertiveness either you know it's like for Me most either. of us we can have that kind of well we you know we want to express our needs but we also really don't want to be rejected by this person so of course you know we really want them to approve of you know so it's all they're all quite hard ones but i think as you say we can think of them as a useful toolkit that we can keep working on yeah, and for life. So one of the other things that yeah. I was thinking of is that people often ask, well, so you, you think you might want to be non-monogamous. Where do you look for people? Yeah, good question. So, um, I mean, the specific dating sites that are really poly-friendly, like um, OkCupid and FetLife for the more kinky, um, I'm sure there's other ones as well. I mean, if it's more like fuck betters and friends with benefits, then you've got um, Tinder and Grindr and mm -hmm. more sexual uh, dating apps like that but then not everybody wants to do the dating route you know so it might be more about going to poly events and mm -hmm. you know um kind of uh, fairly big urban centers often have a poly community um and then also you know more social media groups as well like facebook has a number of poly groups and different kinds of poly as well it's got solo poly groups and groups for intersectional non-monogamy and relationship anarchy so you could join some of those groups and then you can meet people more as a friend and then maybe, you know, something develops with that person. 
do you have any other thoughts? I think those would be my main ones. I think I think so. I mean, I know that certainly there are quite a few meetup groups. Like in London, there are quite a few poly meetup groups for different aspects of poly. Yeah. And so meetup is a as a tool because um, that's, yeah. that's all over is a good place to look. And you can look for the, the you get to see a little bit about the group members before you go out to, kind of find definitely groups and you might in. like to you know if you're if you're fortunate enough to live in london or another big urban area then you might find that there are different groups for for different things um you know for different inter other intersections so um you know there might be more uh, poly people of color groups for example yep. or bisexual groups or yeah. for different sexualities and uh, that might be good because sometimes i mean you know again one of the problems with poly is it isn't immune from the power hierarchies yes. that we have and so there can be some rather nasty dynamics of kind of certain people being seen as more attractive for example so certain people if they come into the poly community get pounced on by absolutely everybody initially which yep. can be quite an overwhelming experience yep. um, and other people really don't get you know don't get asked on dates and things so you know it's worth being mindful of those other intersections and you might find that it's better to find you know a specific poly group that you know is going to be more clued up about race or about class or about fatness or about you know yeah. your sexuality whatever it is um uh, and and whilst we also try and make all poly groups better on these things hopefully yeah. as well yeah but particularly because it can mm -hmm. feel i mean i in, in in working with people who are like putting their toe in the water and nobody talks to them yeah. You know, and they yeah. feel tremendously like I'm completely unattractive and nobody wants to come go out with me and nobody wants yeah. to date me. And other yeah. people feel completely overwhelmed by the amount of attention. And it's not good yeah. attention. You know, it's, no. it's just like, oh, she's ideal and we're just going to all, you know, everybody pile yeah, on exactly. kind of attention. And, and that can be equally as upsetting. Um, so you're right. Absolutely. It is worth looking at those things, if, particularly if you're in a large urban area, there's a lot more. But also, even if you're in the smaller areas, if you find an online group, it can help steer you towards the better parts. Exactly. I think I think it's a good time in the sense that polyamorous communities are becoming aware of some of their privileges and problems in yeah. these kinds of areas. And yeah, they, I guess it's a reflection of wider society that some of the same kind of problematic body ideals and you know racist and classist assumptions and homophobia and transphobia can play out in polyamorous communities as well but there are sections of the communities that are much better on these things and much more clued up and then there's some sections that are much less so so it's worth uh, doing doing a bit of homework and finding your way yeah no and i think to say like you know just because people are poly doesn't make them more evolved <laughs> no. yeah exactly some poly people would like to think so and if you come yeah. across a poly person who reckons being poly makes them more evolved then you should back away slowly it's amazing <laughs> to me definitely yeah it's amazing to me i mean you can see just as much overt sexism for example right you know or overt racism and you know but because they're poly they think they're more evolved and i've had people who are like newbies in the community say but they're poly. They, how come they're like that? Well, they're human and they haven't dealt with those issues. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Completely agree. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me for these two episodes. Um, no problem. I look forward to collaborating again in the future. Definitely. 
And thank you all for joining me this week for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Do write to me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter, where my handle is Dr. Bisbee. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click the button that says Schedule Now. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.